0: Let's pray, Lord. As we uh, as we gather on this third Sunday of Advent, as we look at how you reveal love and you reveal uh, the face of God, I pray that we would gain some new insight, gain some new wisdom, gain something that is a different way of seeing a what can be an old, familiar story. Lord, forgive us of times that familiarity breeds, maybe not contempt, but uh, boredom or ho-hum. I've heard this story before. What does it mean? So I pray that you would uh, show us the new thing that you are doing. Maybe within us, maybe within each other, maybe within our wider uh, community. And so speak to us, Lord, we pray, through your scriptures, through your Holy Spirit, through the voice of each other, through my words. And Lord, may we hear your word of love and compassion and grace and forgiveness for all people and to experience that each day. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. So, as I said, we are, believe it or not, on our third week of the Advent calendar, Advent series, and we've been looking together at this idea that in Jesus, love is revealed. And we have uh, looked at this idea that in the incarnation, in the coming of Jesus, we see love tangibly revealed. Now, the question is, as we celebrate Advent, and as we uh, go in, week in, and week out, we come to this idea of the Incarnation, that Jesus took on flesh and blood, and you know, in some, era, some translations it says, and uh, took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or as kind of my favorite translation of that is, Eugene Peterson says, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. I love that sense of like what would, if, what would happen if Jesus literally moved into the house inside you? Um, and so the question that I just I think I've always kind of struggled with or wrestled with, with that is why? Like why did Jesus one, take on flesh and blood and two, why did he make his dwelling among us? Why? You know, heaven's a lot better like, couldn't he have just stayed in heaven and been like, y'all good. It's all good. You're all forgiven. Uh, here's, here's, uh, we'll send some other people like prophets to tell you how to live. But I'm not, I'm not giving up what I got up here. This is too good. I'm staying. No, he, he didn't do that. And so I just, I just come back to this question, like, why? And I think, I don't think there was one, just one specific answer to that question why. I think there's multiple. I think it's a myriad of answers and reasons. And so I think, in fact, that's what we're actually been talking about. Why did Jesus leave heaven, leave his Father, to come to earth, to take on flesh and blood, and move into the neighborhood? Why? And so the first week, two weeks ago, we talked about one of the reasons, is so that he could bring justice into our world. So that uh, the word justice is this idea of, Just Making things right. Because he saw that they were not right. They were broken. And so he came to show us what rightness is. But not only to show us, but to help us to know what it is. So that we can then in turn work for the things that are to be made right. To be made whole. To bring justice. And last week we talked about... That he came to bring life. John 10.10. He came to bring life and life to the fullest. So the life most abundantly. This idea of um, Jesus being the most fullest human that ever was ever. Like to be fully human. And so Jesus uh, brought what I said last week of this idea of eternal life. The way of the kingdom in the present. And so this idea that eternal eternal life starts now, but also goes all throughout eternity. It just doesn't start some other time, in some other place, but it starts now in what we call the age to come. And so Jesus came to show us in the midst of our present age what this uh, kingdom to come looks like. And then calls us to say, because you know what the kingdom looks like, what this eternal life looks like, you live that future in the present. And so today, probably, if you, most, if you ask the average Christian, hey, why did Jesus come? The answer usually, in some way, shape, or form, gets at the idea that he came to forgive sins. And so that's what we're looking at today. Kind of the, one of the quintessentials, I guess, if you will of Jesus' reason for coming to earth is to forgive sins. And so to do that, we're going to look at probably a pretty familiar passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And now this is, this is the story of Jesus' birth, not from the perspective of Mary. Like the, norm, the normal one we hear a lot is the Luke 2, you know, the, the Linus, uh, Peanuts story. That, that's next week. We'll get there next week. But this week we're going to look at Mark, Matthew, sorry, Matthew 1, 18-25. And again, this is from the perspective of Joseph. And So this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So, so what we see happening is Matthew, just like we talked about last week with John, he's making the connection to the beginning, to Genesis, both in the chap- in beginning of chapter 1 chapter 1, verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, which could be actually rewritten. This is the origin story. This is the genesis of Jesus. Now, remember last week we had to also say that, that Jesus took on flesh and blood, but that doesn't mean that's when he started to exist. Like, it wasn't, there was no existence and then he existed. Like, in John 1, it said the Word was with God from the very beginning. So Jesus is from the very beginning. He was present at creation. But here is the, gen- the genesis of him coming to earth. And so, and then in verse 18, we read, This is how the birth, or the genesis, or the origin of Jesus the Messiah came about. We see this connection. in genesis is the, the creation, the beginning and in Jesus coming we see new life, new creation, recreation. And so in the midst of our present age Jesus comes and he's breaking in this new creation, this recreation. That that in his coming it is fully possible to be a, like a new way to be human. He's showing us what, what God's original design of what it meant to be human. To c- forgive sins. And so here he's making again, Matthew's making this connection between Genesis and the coming of Jesus. And he makes it through the womb of Mary. And so he begins to tell the story, the narrative of the incarnation. He says, he says his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So, so Joseph and Mary are pledged to be married, and before they came together, and you know, hey, all of us know what the word means. Come together means we all we all get that right. Like it's pretty simple. They had consummated their relationship. And so before they come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, sit on Joseph's side. He doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know she's pregnant. And we, what they said, they, they were pledged to be married. So to understand kind of where they are in this whole idea, is you've got to understand the first century Jewish world of marriage. It's a lot different than our way that we do things. They didn't like, you know, you grew up, went to to middle school, went to high school, went to college, found the love of your life, uh, dated for a while, uh, fell in love, got engaged, did the engagement for a while, then got married. That wasn't, that's not first century Jewish marriage. First century Jewish marriage looked like this. Your dad... And her dad, or your dad and his dad, got together and said, Hey, you know what's a good idea? We just had a daughter, we just had a son. I think we should put them together. They arranged the marriage. And so the first step in a three-step process, if you will, of marriage, was there was engagement. And it was out of your control. It was pretty much an arrangement when they were really young. Second, there was a period called betrothal, which is actually where we are talking about right now, where, where Joseph and Mary are betrothed to each other. They are, literally, they would call each other, and they would be termed by the terms of husband and wife. Betrothal was, it made, it made this previous time of engagement official. In fact, actually, it was so official, it was so recognized that the only way to stop this part from moving forward was actually to do, have a divorce. Legally divorce. And this period lasted about a year. And the final step was marriage. And don't think white dress, ceremony in a church building. Think like seven-day party and in the middle somewhere. Like day two or day three, the, the, the bride and the groom would go off to the, the, the marriage room, if you will, and they would consummate the marriage while everybody was still partying. There was no honeymoon. There was no anything. That's actually what was going on. That's, that's kind of what happened in, the, in first century marriage. And so this is where they are. They're in the midst of this betrothal period. And he says, wait a minute. She's pregnant. She fooled around on me. She committed adultery. And there's, actually, if you go back and do enough research, you can find their story. Well, you know, it was probably a Roman soldier. Or it was somebody, like, there's all these stories of, like, who it was, or perceived to be. And so Joseph, which I find very interesting, they call him a righteous man. Because he's a righteous man, did not want to subject her to public disgrace, to ridicule. Because he didn't know. He, he still, think this out, think this through, he didn't know that what was in her was from the Holy Spirit. And what does he still want to do? He still wants to protect her. I mean, I, he might be a better man than me. You know? He's staying, okay, so if, if I make this divorce public, what I'm doing is I am subjecting her to condemnation, to judgment, to ridicule, to shame, and possibly even death by stoning. Because that the law was, you commit adultery, you're stoned. And so he's like even in the midst of his hurt, even in the midst of his grief of what he thought, hey, here's this woman who cheated on me. He doesn't want to go that line. And so he's a righteous man. <laughs> And no doubt, he finally comes to that decision. I'm going to divorce her quietly. I'm going to protect her as much as I can. Because I guarantee he probably had a few sleepless nights. And so, like sleep becomes elusive. And then finally, he makes his decision. This is what I'm going to do. I have a feeling sleep just came. And in this sleep, in this, in this time, he has this dream. In which an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Hey. This is what's really going on. This is what's really happening behind the scenes, if you will. And the angel says, Hey Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. Because what is in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save the people from their sins. Now, we don't know if this is the angel Gabriel or who. But the angel shows up in the midst of this dream. And says, hey... Just so you know, she, did, she wasn't unfaithful to you. What is in her is from the Holy Spirit. And this baby will be a son. And even tells Joseph, this is what you are supposed to name the child. And so the angel tells him to name the son, this boy, Jesus. Because he will save the people from their sins. Now it's really Interesting. The angel gives Joseph the honor to name the child. Now, he tells him what to name. But you will name him this. It's this idea that in that time, this is an act of adoption that's taking place. Because Joseph isn't the father, and so Jesus is a way of being adopted into his own family. So it's a term of adoption. And so... He names him Jesus, which is translated in other words, in like more in, ancient, in Old Testament, Yeshua or Joshua. And so the name Jesus or Joshua means the Lord saves or Jehovah is salvation. God is our Savior. God rescues. That's what the name Jesus or Joshua means. And what is awesome about this is the name becomes symbolic of what Jesus is going to be all about. His name defines his reality. His name defines his future. His name defines his purpose. In fact, names, in in some way, we kind of have that same thing of like, hey, what does your name mean? And sometimes parents are very like, I want to name this child this, and so therefore they will live into the meaning of it. So think about it even think about the New Testament story when when Jesus calls Simon and renames him Peter cuz Peter means rock and Peter was anything but a rock but Jesus was kind of calling that out of him defining who he should be and so when the angel says you will name him Jesus it's like this is what he will be all about the Lord saves, the Lord rescues. He came to earth to save the peop, His people from their sins. And now that's interesting. He saved His people from their sins. Now, let's read this in, in context. The first 17 verses of what like if we're all us, we usually don't start Matthew 1 verse one, because how many really like genealogies? Like I just love to read genealogies. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Just love to read Most of the time, we skip right over. But he's making the context of who his people are. It's the Jewish lineage. It's the Jewish people. And in some, one way, he's saying he's going to save the Jewish people from their sins. But let's read this from the front and the back. So the front is the, the story of the genealogy, the, the, familial, the familial context of the Jewish people. But... If you go to the past, back part of it, chapter 2, it's the story of the Magi coming to worship Jesus. And these were not Jewish people. These were Gentiles. These were maybe even pagans. And so in in one way, shape, or form, Jesus, is what he's saying is, save his people from their sins. His people is all people. Both Jewish and Gentile. All of us, all—if you are created in the image of God, which every single person that ever walked the face of this earth is created in the mago day—he came so that we all may be saved. First Timothy two four, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. And Second Peter, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So Jesus names meaning. Savior, God saves, God rescues from their sin. Now there's a word that has kind of fallen away, has kind of fallen out of favor, if you will. And then we also, we really define what that means. What does, what does the word sin actually mean? So let me just kind of unpack a little bit. The, words, the word right there, he will save his people from their sins, is this word, harmadia, harmadia, which is derived from a Greek archery term, which means to miss the mark. So think about it, if you've ever shot archery, and you line up, you want to hit the target, and you pull back, and it just flies way past. You've missed the mark. You knew what the mark was. It was that little red dot in the middle. So, my question now is then, if sin means to miss the mark, what is the mark that we're missing? I think a lot of times people think, or they've been told, it's these set of standards and rules and laws. And God is judge, and He will judge us by missing these, you know. One, two, three, four, five laws. Now, And and I'm not saying that there isn't uh, parts of the story of God that can line up that way, but I think there's something else more biblically based, if you will, more centered on the story, is I think it's more about missing the mark of being truly and fully human. And now what does that mean? I think... I think the best definition I've ever heard of sin is it's it's a relational disruption. It disrupts our relationships, all areas. And so it disrupts our relationship between God and humanity. It disrupts the relationship within our own self. It disrupts our relationship with each other. And it disrupts the relationship with all the cosmos and the creation itself. And so sin is relational disruption. And so if sin is missing the mark and sin is relational disruption, then the mark that we're missing is in relationship. We miss the mark in our relationship with God because we don't love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and our strength. And we miss the mark when we don't love our neighbor as ourselves when we don't see them as image bearers, when we see them as less than or other, or they're not, they do not honor them and we do not treat them in the way they deserve as divine image bearers. That's when we miss the mark. That's what sin is. Jesus came to save us from sin, to heal our relational disruption in all those areas that i said. He came to heal us and our relational disruption between God and us, in our very selves, in our relationship with each other, and all of creation itself. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Colossians. And it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Healing all those, all those brokenness, all the sin. I read this commentary and I, and I really like it this way because a lot of times when we think of sin, yes, we need to think of relationship, but we also too often it's just too often we just say me. It's my individual self. It's my individual sin. But sin is much more than just individual. This, this writer says, Contemporary readers are likely to assume that Matthew's understanding of sin is individual based on individualistic themes in contemporary society and individualistic readings of Paul's theology of justification. Clear though, sin, clearly though, here sin is corporate. Thus, the salvation that Jesus is to bring is social and political and cosmic in nature. So, yes, Jesus came to save us from our individual sins of greed and lust and desire for power and lying and hate and bigotry and not loving our enemies and, you know what, fill in your own sin. But at the same time, salvation is communal. And saves us from our communal sins and systematic sins. And frees us from things like racism and raping our environment and corporate greed and all those other things too that so often we don't think about. Jesus came to save us from our individual and systematic sins. To slavery, to sin. Freedom from exile. And he heals us from relational disruption. So let me me wrap up this way. Right after the dream happens, Matthew makes this quote of Isaiah seven fourteen: The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of, of our sin, even in the midst of like, we feel like we've just blown it. God is with us. We sang earlier, and I think, I mean, this is pretty cool. He is for you. He is for, I mean, we sing it a lot. I think, there's a, I think, and I'm not the writer of the song, so I don't know, but the idea is, there's this repetition, God is for you, he is for you, he is for you, because so often we think he's not, for us he's against us especially when we focus on our own brokenness and then we assume god is up there judging us because of our brokenness the story of god taking on flesh and blood and moving in the neighborhood god is with us he is for us he is not against us in fact actually if anybody is against anybody we're against him romans 5 for if while we were god's enemies We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God for us. God redeems us. Jesus, Emmanuel, Jesus, Joshua, the Lord saves, the Lord redeems, the Lord makes it right. That's what he came to do. One of the reasons why he came to take on flesh and blood and moved in the neighborhood to save us from our sins and to bring forgiveness into our world. Amen.